0: The scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 35 verses 30 through 35 and chapter 36 verses 2 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with divine spirit, with skill, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood in every kind of craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do every kind of work done by an artisan, or by a designer, or by an embroiderer, in blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and in fine linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of artisan or skilled designer. Moses then called Bezalel and Oholiab and everyone skillful to whom the Lord had given skill, everyone whose heart was stirred to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the freewill offerings that the Israelites had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that the artisans who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task being performed. And said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for what they had already brought was more than enough to do all the work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's join together in prayer, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the stillness of this moment, that in busy lives with so many voices speaking to us and some at us, we pray that you would speak to us to build us up in our faith and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us now through the word read and the word that will be proclaimed. We bring our prayer to you through jesus your son our lord and savior amen in our sermons through the summer months all the way from easter on to the present i've been reviewing basic christian beliefs i'm calling the series contours of faith we're exploring the parameters the boundaries of our christian faith as well as the core in recent weeks We've been focusing on the whole idea that God is a God who desires to speak. This is really important. Many people think that God is silent. If there is a God, we can't know God. They're agnostic or they don't believe, but we believe that God is and that God speaks. God speaks through nature, God speaks through scripture, and God speaks especially through what we call the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Incarnation simply means in flesh. God comes to us in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus, enters our universe to speak to us through the life of Jesus, through the words of our Lord Jesus. At the center of everything that God speaks to us through Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his words, is love. Love is the center of the message. There's much else than that, or it's spelled out in different ways, but love. Not just to feel good about other people, though I hope we do feel good about other people, but we've talked about this love in recent weeks as simply the willingness to be inconvenienced by other people. That's at its lightest edge. To suffer for others? Yes, that's love. But how often are we willing to be inconvenienced by others, change our plans for others, do something we would not normally do that we think is beneath us for someone else? That at least is the beginning of love as we find it in the pages of Scripture. Jesus was inconvenienced for us, big time. Suffered for us, but went out of his way for his people, for those who he surrounded himself with while he was here on earth, and then for you, and me this is the love to which he calls us this is a love in which we're to love not only individuals love your neighbor we're to do that the person as it were who is closest to you whoever that may be love your neighbor but we have also been called to love communities and many people forget this that in the world in which we live we love or we want to love or we play our part to love not only individuals but communities for example we long for the health of our nation and many of us are worried about the health of our nation as a community and we need to ask ourselves how am I loving my nation the community of which I am a part we love our families we love the individuals in our families but at times we're anxious about what's happening in our family structure as a whole the multiple relationships which are a part of the way families operate and Jesus says that we're to love our families as well as the individuals in our families and as members of families and societies this is what we do with regard to our Christian faith there is uh, a calling from God for us to love not just individuals but to love the community which is at the heart of God's concern and that is the church the scripture says that Jesus loved the church and gave his life for the church and so we are to love not only individuals, but communities as well, playing our part in the community. Many of you play your part. Jack Petty has played his part. Lots of people. The only way a community thrives is if lots of people play their parts in multiple ways. Some of them are up front, some of them are behind the scenes. But however you serve the community, this is part of your love for God and for neighbor. We love our communities. Part of that love of communities, God's passion for communities to be sustained and thrived as a cohesive whole, part of that thriving involves something we don't talk very much about, and that is money. Money is required for organizations and communities to thrive, or at least in most cases. Some pastors have a great deal of difficulty speaking about money to their congregations. It's not my favorite subject to speak about, congregations or to anybody, but there often is sort of the accusation that uh, now you're really meddling in our lives. You can talk about the gospel, you can talk about this, that, or the next thing, but don't dig too deep into our lives or probe too much. Some of these conversations are uncomfortable because somebody might say, you only talk to me when you're talking about money. That's why you love me is because I have something that you want, or others are uncomfortable because they don't have it. And they feel awkward about that, that somebody's going to ask them to do something that they cannot do. It's a struggle within their lives. For those for whom this is a struggle, I've got four words for you to memorize. You can write them down if you like. But if you're struggling with your finances at this moment, the four words are these. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. Google it or use whatever means you have to go online for Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. This is the best program I know of for Christians who want to handle their resources, whether they have much or little. And he deals across the whole spectrum to get that part of your house in order. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. Those of you for whom that's a concern, you can tune out at the moment. That's all you need to know. But it's a confusing subject, even the Beatles were confused about the subject of money. In 1963 they sang this, the best things in life are free but you can keep them for the birds and bees. I need, I need money, that's what I want. I need money, that's what I want. A year later apparently they changed their mind. In 1964 they sang, I don't care too much for money because money can't buy me love. Well, two sides of the coin there and lots of discussions to be had on what they sang and about the themes that are included in those, uh, those songs that they sing and we're caught in the middle of all of that kind of discussion. But I really don't have too much problem speaking about money as I thought about this for three reasons that I want to share with you today. Three reasons why it's important for me to speak about this subject or why at the least uh, I'm not embarrassed to do so. The first is institutional. First reason is institutional. People give significant sums of money for all kinds of institutions, clubs, programs that they're involved in. All the time, people are asking that we support one institution or another. It could be our children's education, fees, or above the fees. It could be a college of which we're uh, uh, alumni or alumni. They have no qualms about asking again and again it could be our country club it could be a hobby or a group we belong to that has some interest in common and we have those requests all the time and we think nothing of it but there's one institution which you and I are the only ones who will support because we're believers in Jesus Christ that often comes way below in terms of giving what we give to these other institutions within our lives that's the church of our Lord Jesus Christ which he bought with his blood his life that was the cost for him and he calls us to support this institution with our time with our talent and with our treasure now one of the things that I want to say as publicly as I can before I retire about national is this That as an institution, just as an institution, National deserves your support, needs your support, your wholehearted support. There are very few churches like us in our nation's capital. Large churches that provide a safe haven for weary travelers that transcends the rancorous divisions of life that are all around about us, that holds to orthodox faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and has a social conscience that is not partisan. Let me say that again. This is what I believe about National. We're a large church, still a large church, despite COVID, that provides a safe haven for weary travelers, that transcends the rancorous divisions of life around about us, primarily focusing on politics, but on who knows what else, that holds to orthodox faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God with a social conscience that is not partisan. This is worth preserving. This is worth proclaiming. This is worth enhancing. And I'm convinced that the anti-institutional tendency Of Western society in recent decades which has led to the decline of all kinds of churches will turn a corner it always does in history and when it turns a corner the question is will we be ready for Christ to do his work through us then now yes there's plenty work but we have a future ahead which our role I believe is absolutely vital more vital than ever all of this takes money in my opinion we need at least 20 percent more than we have at present coming in for the operations of the church now I need to say we're not in bad shape in fact your generosity in recent years has been incredible it has been remarkable it has been greater than at any other time in the church's history for the facility and for the organization put that all together and it is absolutely remarkable but can we do better? Yeah, actually, I think we can do better if we want to be Christ's light shining brightly in the city in which God has placed us, in the nation in which God has placed us. Remember our scripture reading. You may or may not have heard this story before. Children of Israel have been set free from slavery. They know the grace of God god's redemption that has come to them they're in the middle of nowhere they're in the desert and god commands them to establish an institution the center of worship it will in time become the temple in jerusalem but to begin with it's just a tent a glorious tent but a tent of worship that we call the tabernacle and to do this they required to be givers they had no money as such their money were the things they traded in and that they made. So yes, it's talents and time, but it is their income that they gave to God with such generosity that they were restrained from giving, that they were restrained from giving. This is a moment, by the way, that every pastor dreams of when the pastor has to restrain the congregation from giving. Listen again. The constructors, construction of the tent of worship those constructing it received from Moses all the freewill offerings <coughs> that the Israelites had brought for doing the work in the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the artisans who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary came, each from the task being performed, and said to Moses that people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for what they had already brought was more than enough, more than enough to do all the work. There's joy here. There is unrestrained joy as the people are restrained from giving. That's how it ought to be. God has given us his life in Jesus Christ and we are to respond unrestrained giving from God. To be reflected in our lives some people may say well this is pretty idealistic it's never going to happen in reality which leads me to the second reason why I find it uh, not embarrassing to speak about money and that is this that I've seen unrestrained giving I've seen it I've seen it when I first came to this country when I was 19 years of age 50 years ago I was at a college in upstate New York, Schenectady, New York, and I joined a church, First Presbyterian Church of Schenectady, New York. This congregation, maybe 500 people, maybe 600 people, middle-class, not many wealthy people as far as I knew. Uh, General Electric has big plants there, or at that time certainly did. But their generosity was simply overwhelming. It was something I had never seen in my life before. Many of them tithed It was built into the very fabric of their being. And 50% of their budget went to mission, went out, overflowed from the church to other uh, places, to other people. One of the members there became a mentor for me, a lady in her 70s. Her name was Helen Buchanan. And she and her late husband, George, the story was told to me, Had been audited by the IRS on three or four occasions because the IRS did not believe the amount of money they put in as their contribution to the church. Now that's something to boast about well you don't want to boast about what you give but hey how many times have you been audited for that or me for that sake and that is sort of a strange boast but my word again and again and I believe it was true it was in fact absolutely true that they gave remarkably to support Christ's work in and through the church and as I've shared with some of you a year or two later came back to this country to go to seminary I came back because that church promised that they would support me financially if I came to seminary on this side of the ocean they paid every nickel and dime for my seminary education along with three others there were four of us they were supporting fully this is not a huge church Supporting us fully and at the end of my seminary time, I not only had no debt But I bought all the books from my ministerial library and had to return to them a check for today's equivalent of about $1,500 I bought every book I needed and there was $1,500 left over and I had to Restrain them from giving to me. I was the recipient. I saw the generosity i saw their powerful worldwide ministry for jesus christ i saw other lives transformed by their generosity as mine was transformed by their generosity i saw their joy in being generous left with me an indelible impression of what the church can be when we bring all of our lives before god including our financial resources so the institution This institution deserves your support more than any of the others that are clamouring for your support. I profoundly believe in the ongoing mission of the church and I've seen the consequences of what happens when a congregation catches the bug for being generous internally that explodes externally and affects all kinds of lives. And then third, the third reason I see no problem about speaking about money, which I suppose should be first, is that when I read the Bible the whole issue of our financial resources is huge, pervasive throughout the book. And bringing our financial resources under the control of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way we handle our money, is not peripheral to our Christian identity. It needs to be central to our Christian identity, as it's central in so much of the teaching of Scripture. So, German theologian, Helmut Thielicker, our checkbooks have more to do with heaven and hell than our hymn books today might be credit cards but our checkbooks have more to do with heaven and hell than our hymn books they tell the story of who we trust and what we value more than anything else do we love the lord our god above everything and everyone else jesus says the same thing by the way in the verse which is on the cover of your Bulletin and it's there on the insert and I'd like to ask that you pull that insert out now when he says where your treasure is There your hearts will be also You don't just give to where your heart is you give whether your heart is there or not and your heart will follow Where your treasure is tells the story of what you truly value says Jesus and this applies to all of us whether we have much or whether we have little So let me take you finally through some of these verses, which you have in the insert. And if you're watching again online, do download the sermon notes that you find there. Psalm 24, it's the foundation of everything. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. All we have belongs to God. I belong to God, my body belongs to God, my path in life belongs to God. My finances belong to God. They don't belong to me. I've just been entrusted with them for a season. Do we remember that? Is that foundation to our life? That's about faith. And it affects the material world we live in. Acts 20 reminds us that God seeks our joy. Already harped on this and we'll mention it again. seeks our joy as we generously supply the needs of others. We must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we do this, we receive back. Jesus challenges us to remember the paradoxes that are inherent in all our giving in Mark 4. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. There are times when Jesus' teaching seems to be rather scary, like the time a rich man came up to him. This is Mark 10 and said to Jesus, Teacher, I've kept all the commandments since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. We get scared that we're supposed really to give it all away and we're not faithful followers of Jesus if we don't. I think Karl Barth, famous Swiss theologian, got it right when he said that Uh, The call to give it all away is for this one person and it may be for others. But the principle behind it is for everyone. And what's that principle? He says it's as if Jesus is saying to this man, prove to me that you control your wealth and your wealth does not control you. Prove to me that your possessions do not possess you, but that God possesses you. And that's where our money comes in it often tells the story of who really possesses us and the rich man in this case couldn't do it he said when he when he when he was uh, responding to Jesus how he responded was like this he said when he heard this the scripture says he was shocked and went away grieving very many possessions we see radical generosity in another story in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus points out it's not the amount that matters but the level of sacrifice Uh, Where we are in life. This is where you are. God meets us where we are. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury in Mark 12. Watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came, put in two small copper coins, the widow's mite, worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Not everyone in the church, as I've hinted, was asked to give everything away. I often used to wonder how in the world Jesus survived as he was preaching and teaching throughout Galilee and Judea with these twelve disciples wandering from one place to another. And there's a marvelous little verse at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Luke's gospel that gives us the answer to that. It speaks about God's work, especially in the lives of some women. And then at verse 3 of Luke 8, it says, Joanna, the wife of Herod, steward Chusa, and Susanna, and many others, provided for them out of their resources. Provided for them out of their resources. The original ministry of Jesus. These women did not give it all away. In fact, they probably couldn't. They were in marriages where someone was an unbeliever. But they did what they could to support the ongoing ministry of Jesus on a regular basis. Jesus shows us in what we call the parable of the talents that all of this is proportional to who we are. He knows who we are and calls us to respond into proportion to who we are. The parable of the talents is often seen as a story about our gifts and talents. Uh, Speaking about talents as part of our giftedness. But in the ancient world in which Jesus was speaking a talent was a measure of money like a dollar so a man says Jesus was going on a journey and he summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them to one he gave five talents that's about twenty thousand dollars to another two talents eight thousand to the third one talent four thousand to each according to his ability didn't belong to them they were entrusted with it after a long time the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them During that long time they might well have begun to think this is mine, but it never was theirs. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. And the one with the two talents came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. Their master said to them, well done, good and trustworthy servants. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master, using the resources entrusted to our care. The master gives them praise. Not so for the other one who just took what was given and buried it in the ground. Many people wonder how much we should give. Jesus affirms the Old Testament teaching of a tithe. Many people ask the question, and I mentioned this downstairs earlier, uh, before taxes are after, and I say, I don't really care, as soon As you're thinking of giving a proportion back to God, you're thinking biblically. You're thinking biblically, not the amount, but what God has entrusted to me and where I am in life. Jesus always meets us where we are in life. But the admonition in the Old Testament is clear. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Put me to the test, says the Lord. See if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. This is not the only thing, says Jesus, but it is important. Some are struggling in a terrible way with finances. This is maybe not the first place to start. Though for some, maybe God is calling you to do something generous and see if you might receive. Others are in marriages where this would destroy the fragile marriage you're in. Don't go there. Jesus says, balance things out, but this is important to him. You tithe the produce of your farm, says Jesus, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. It's these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the tithe. Two final scriptures from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Whatever you do, do it off the top. Don't wait till the end when there's nothing left. First fruits given to God on a regular basis, says 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to supply you with every good gift in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. This is a huge picture drawn from Scripture. There's more that could be in there. But I hope you'll see it's not peripheral to scripture, but central, the thrust is clear. You cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you bring all you are and all you have under his lordship. This is our call. Without doing this, we are not acknowledging his authority over our lives. In the second place, the biblical imagery is clear. Overflowing generosity leads to joy and effectiveness in our lives. are blessed as we give. And finally, the biblical community, the institution thrives, when we support it with who we are and what we have. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard leaves these words for us to ponder. He says, riches and abundance come like a hypocrite in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be security against anxieties, but they become the object of our anxiety. Where do these things fit into our lives? Because the materiality of life is also spiritual. Where your treasure is, says Jesus, there will your heart be also. And where is our heart? Do we love God? Do we love our neighbor? Do we love the community? Our resources are part of that love. Let's pray. Holy God, come to us, probe deeply into our lives. Help us see clearly the foundation of our lives in your love for us in Christ Jesus. And help us each one where we are to know how we are to respond. We are all in different places. But help us to be truthful about where we are, that we might use who we are, and what we have, for the glory of your name. Amen.